Thanks, Lauren, for uh, leading us in worship and praise, and the rest of the crew for getting together as well. Thanks, that was really great. Loved it. Um, yep, Exchange Kids is happening today, so you can uh, wander out the back and don't forget to sign them in and uh, follow the Pied Piper sort of going around to the left now, and you'll be right. Follow it around the left, and you'll be right. That doesn't make sense, did it? Left, right. That's the English language for you, isn't it? Does that sound a bit echoey or sort of... Are you able to sort that out for us, Caleb? Good on you, mate. Thumbs up. That's what we wanted to see. Well, I'm wondering how you've approached church today. Have you come just to say, oh, look, it's only Todd again. I'll just, you know, get on my phone and check a few things on Facebook and catch up on a few emails I haven't done? Or have you come today to listen? Have you come today to hear? And uh, not so much me, although you will hear my voice, but have you come today to hear God's voice, which will come loud and clear out of the Scriptures? It's really important that we do come with an attitude and not so much to listen, but also to say, hey, that is God's Word. Uh, That is exactly how His will is for me, and I need to uh, yield myself to that Word and obey it and see myself uh, change in the image of Christ as God's Spirit works through that Word. So how have you come today? Let me just leave that question with you as we... uh, approach today's message once I find the book of Galatians. We're in a series at the moment um, about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God. Uh, God generously and lavishly has given us his spirit to live inside of us when we became a Christian. (coughs) You'll have to pardon me for a few coughs today too because I've got this lingering sort of uh, throat infection as well, like many others I know have that as well. Uh, God generously and lavishly has given us his spirit to live inside of us when we become a Christian. We have God's empowering presence dwelling within our hearts. And one of the facets here, or one of the the, uh, major works of the Holy Spirit in us, is to produce character change. God wants to reform us and to renew us completely on the inside. God's spirit is patiently working in us, actually, to become attractive people. Attractive people. Spirit is producing an attraction within by changing our character, changing our thinking, changing our attitudes. And this will produce true beauty in the face of Jesus Christ as we partner with God's Spirit in this work of changing us within and our character. And uh, this will be from an unusual perspective today because it will come actually through a battle or a war as believers that we get this change. But it's a, it's a very uh, unique and positive change that God works in us through his spirit. So if you're in the Bibles there, please go to Galatians chapter 5 and um, we will read from verse 16 through to verse 26. And again, as I read this, you're going to say, yeah, I learned all this stuff in Sunday school. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness.
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, Lord, today we thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for this inspired word. We thank you today uh, as we read through the book of Galatians. We understand and know that this is a word that you've given to us, uh, Lord, to reveal the corruptions and the brokenness in our own hearts, but also at the same time to reveal your glorious work of uh, producing character change, character in the face of Christ. Uh, Holy Spirit, today I pray that you would help us to have the attitude today of listening, listening, Help us to understand as we listen and then help us to obey and apply uh, your truths into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives this week as uh, we think about your goodness that is displayed to us through your revealed will to us, your living word. Uh, Father, we ask and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Galatians is a terrific book. It's probably the first book that Paul wrote. Um, He wrote quite a bit of the New Testament. Galatia was um, one of the first Roman provinces that Paul visited on his missionary journeys. We have three missionary journeys recorded for us in the Bible. And uh, the first one here is when Paul was sort of spread out into the Roman world and um, Galatia was probably one of these first provinces he went to and he uh, shared the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think in many respects there's probably a dearness in his heart to these people of Galatia when he wrote this letter. Though the Galatians are having a struggle, though, they're having a struggle. This is uh, part of the reason why Paul is writing this letter to them. Paul has proclaimed the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. They've believed him and trusted in Christ alone. And many have been saved and born again, as they've heard Paul preach the message. In the meantime, though, so some time has passed between Paul making this trip to Galatia, the first missionary journey, and then writing this letter, who could be quite a few years, we don't exactly know, could be 10, 15, could be more. In the meantime, though, since Paul has been there and uh, preached the gospel to them, some people have slipped in and they're actually now preaching another gospel, a gospel of faith plus works is what saves you. And they're now polluting the, uh, the minds of the Galatians with this false gospel. It's like faith in Jesus gets you to the line and then you need to do your own works from that point on to complete salvation in you. So it's Jesus plus works is salvation. And Paul actually says really emphatically and clearly at the start of Galatians, that's no gospel at all. So there's, there's a bit of trouble that's happening here in this church. Uh, so with this confusion that's going on with the, the uh, Galatians, there's some serious division now opening up. We can see that in verses 13 and 15 of chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Here's a very insightful verse here for what the Galatians are up to. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That last verse really points us to something that's happening here in the Galatian church. There is obviously some serious division here and there's a bit of fighting going on. There's some sort of war here amongst maybe factional parties or different groups of people with hostilities in some sense breaking out. And Paul's actually talking about biting and devouring here, uh, obviously getting quite tense and maybe quite verbal and who knows what else is happening. 
So here is where Paul is going with this part of the letter to the Galatians. Paul is acknowledging, hey, there's a war going on. There's a war going on. But what he wants the Galatians to see is that the, that the real war that is going on is not the war between them and these different groups here and these different parties within the Galatian church. He's trying to say the real war that's going on is the war in your heart. And you're just allowing this war to just break out into interrelationships between the various people here and the various thoughts that are coming on. So that's what Paul's heading in this part of this letter. And with the Spirit working in us, Paul now wants to point them towards a battle or a struggle that is going on within them. And this is where we want to go today. We want to open up this battle here of the Spirit, waging war against their own corrupted natural desires. With the result being, from this battle, that as we follow the Spirit, that we will produce glorious, beautiful, attractive fruit or character change in our lives. That will be the result of this war here, that the Spirit is actually engaging with them in their hearts uh, through their desires and their thoughts. Civil war. Civil war. Who knows what a civil war is? I mean, you might have done some history lessons, heard about the civil war in America. Back in the 1800s, a civil war is a battle of two groups of people living within the same country or within the same body or organisation. It's like factions within a a, a one-body situation. This is exactly what Paul is saying here within these Galatians. He's saying there's a civil war that's happening here and there's two sides that are opposed to each other. But he's drawing it back away from the sense of the larger community of the Galatians back to ourselves. And he's bringing that here to us in verse 17 where he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Very insightful here what Paul's saying. If you thought becoming a Christian meant that all your problems were over and life was just going to be a red carpet ride all the way to eternity and you thought life was going to be full of 28-degree days or 30-degree days, as Bree was saying before. Clear skies, light breeze, cold can of Pepsi in your hands, palm trees and a good book to read. Paul's saying, think again. Think again. That's not exactly the Christian life. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. And the, spirit, uh, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. We have mutual enemies residing right within our heart. When Paul uses that word opposed there, it's in the sense of open hostilities. There's something hostile working inside of our hearts. They're actually setting up against each other and they're seeking to take control of our lives. These two sort of warring factions or warring parties, there's a war going on. Paul says the flesh is opposed to the spirit. Just what is the flesh here that Paul is talking about? Is he sort of thinking, is it this sort of fleshy, skinny stuff that's somewhat opposed? Sometimes it doesn't do what one to do, particularly the hair doesn't want to sort of go in the right place and not. But I don't think Paul's talking about that. When Paul's talking about the flesh here, he's referring to what he says in verse 17. The desires. The desires here is what the flesh is representing. These are our thoughts and ideas that come from our heart or our mind. This is the flesh here that Paul's talking about. And when he's talking about this flesh or these desires or these ideas, he's actually talking about corrupted, broken, evil thoughts and evil ideas and evil desires that so easily flow out of our hearts 
and our minds and outwork themselves into our bodies. And eventually they produce what we would call degraded or evil works uh, as the actions were seen here in verses 19 to 21. And it's not a very pretty list, is it? Now the works of the flesh are evident. So it starts off with a desire and then it works into this action. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. It's pretty ugly, isn't it, when you read through that? There's nothing really attractive about any of those actions at all. There's nothing specially nice about any of those actions whatsoever. And when Paul gives that list, he's not trying to give us an exhaustive list to say, that's it, that's all there is. That's just like a sampling of the evil actions that come out of our hearts and out of our desires and flow into these evil works that we carry out. But it's enough of a sample to see that there, that that type of behaviour or that type of evil works that come out of us because of this war that's going on within us is the very thing that kills relationships and communities. It's the very thing that's actually killing the relationships here in the Galatian church. They're allowing this stuff to flow out of their heart and then, then into open hostilities between each other. <clears throat> There's a great one in the middle there, isn't there? Fits of anger. Fits of anger. I don't think I know of anything else that can destroy peace and harmony in a household or a relationship than a fit of anger. It just kills it, doesn't it? As anger comes in, it just crushes people and fills them with fear. It absolutely takes the wind right out of their sails. And this desire and action of our corrupted flesh really does reveal the ugliness of sin. It's not attractive at all. A person thinks, I'm not getting my way, or I'm not getting heard. You know, I'm not getting my agenda met. So they think, okay, I'll just raise my voice another level or two. That's one way of displaying this fit of anger. Or it can go right up to the ultimate fit of anger, which is like an erupted volcano where somebody just goes right off the deep end. Thinking, if I can just show them my power and anger, they'll very quickly come around to my point of view. A person who's angry like this literally becomes irrational at that point in time. You cannot speak any reason into them whatsoever. You've just got to let them cool down after some period of time and maybe then um, their mind is engaged again and they can, and they, they can uh, begin to reason again. But there's nothing attractive at all in this sense here of this work of our corrupted desires in our flesh. But these are the desires of our own heart that are lined up and opposed to the work of God's Spirit within us if we are a believer. The war is happening inside of us. And here's where Paul is actually seeing these Galatians. They are being consumed by the enemy of their own fleshly desires. And he wants them to see the wars happening inside of you. This is the real enemy. It's not the people within your church group or the people within your family or the people within your community. It's this indwelling, remaining sin and desires that you're not dealing with. You're not actually partnering with the Spirit in this war. Now, even if you're not a Christian there's a real sense that this war is going on in you as well. You're saying, is this only something for Christians? No, not at all. Even if you're not a Christian, God has given you a conscience so that you know right from wrong. So you have this sort of argument within your mind. 
is this right or is this wrong? And your conscience will very quickly tell you. It'll either excuse you, yep, you're doing the right thing, or accuse you, you're doing the wrong thing. And you know that voice. Particularly when you tell a lie or something like that, there's just something that in you that says, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And sometimes you might be tempted to do something else and you'll have this little debate in your mind. So it doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not a believer, it certainly will intensify if you're a believer because your conscience will be more heightened and more alert to sinful or wrong activity. But even if you're not a Christian, there's a sense of this battle is going on in your mind as well. So there's a war that's going on inside of us. We need to be aware of that. So the battle here is played out initially in our minds. It initially starts within us. It's here where the war begins with the desires of sin. And James actually gives us a bit of a picture here of this uh, battle. James chapter 1. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the battle that you and I wage uh, is fought in our minds. And it's here where we must start this work with the Spirit, empowering us and engaging us to engage with the enemy and actually to kill the desires of our flesh that would try and rise up within our minds. How does this look then as we think about what James has just said in that verse, is sort of outlaying what's taking place. How does that look maybe in, a, in an outworking situation for us? Perhaps I've just organised a day out with a few mates of mine. A few guys going to get together. We're going to gather around. We're going to watch the footy or watch the cricket or just, just do something a bunch of guys do and just hang out. The conversation gets going and I notice that one of my friends within this group seems to be getting all the attention. Everybody seems to be focusing towards this person. This person's getting all the laughs and everybody's commenting on, on what he's doing and where he's going and the sort of people he's meeting. He's becoming the centre of attention. This sort of goes on for a while. All of a sudden, this jealous thought sort of... Um, so one of those, uh, sorry, after one of those comments um, uh, to my friend who's getting the attention, I look across the room and I have this look with jealousy of my friend. I wish I was getting the attention he was getting. I wish I was getting all the conversation he was getting. And then what follows that jealous thought is another very quick thought. Sometimes it can be microseconds later. And this thought then is one with evil intent. This thought then is, what can I do to make him look really small? What can I do to cut him down? What can I do to belittle him? What can I do to inflict a little bit of pain on him? It becomes this evil intent. One thought follows another thought. So then I might say something nasty or whatever to belittle him or take him down and sort of uh, lower him down in front of his friends. That's how the chain of events goes. It starts there with just a desire or thought or temptation. That's not actually wrong. That will come and we can't stop that. It's the next step where the drama comes. Then I actually give birth to that desire for another thought to as it were, instigate an evil thought and then from there I actually let that action take place. And when that takes place, I bring forth like a killing or a deadening to that relationship to my friend, whoever that may be. So what does Paul then say to do with this enemy, this enemy, this desire of our flesh from our corrupted minds? How are we to engage in this battle that goes on with our minds 
with these thoughts that come so quickly and so fast. We've got to catch that desire when it first appears. And we've got to deal with it there and then, right on the spot. And Paul actually uses some really, really graphic language here in dealing with this enemy, dealing with these thoughts. In verse 24, he says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does that mean when Paul says crucified the flesh? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have received the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence. So with the Spirit's power, we will crucify or mortally wound the sinful desires of our corrupted minds. This is this active part of sanctification or holiness that we spoke about last week as we pursue this uh, killing of these desires. The Holy Spirit empowers us with a renewed mind to subdue and control these sinful desires. And Paul gives this picture here of crucifixion. This is this drastic, sort of very heavy or serious idea here that Paul says about how we deal with these desires. It's a bit like we've nailed our sinful desires to the cross. As we think about Jesus and the gospel, we know that he's dealt with our sin entirely at the cross. There's nothing remaining. Christ has cleansed us of all sin and he's broken sin's power there. And then we by faith, perhaps metaphorically, we by faith nail these sinful desires to the cross, identifying that Christ has died for them and broken its power. And then we don't allow ourselves to go back to the cross, as it were, and pull those nails out and allow those uh, sinful desires to be let loose again. Kill them. Crucify them. Mortally wound them. Paul's giving us a very real picture here of of the severity how we must deal with these desires. And the problem is the moment we play down these desires and think they won't do us much harm, when we start to think like that, we've actually lost sight of the danger and the deadliness of sin and its outworking of desires in our hearts. We've actually just lost sight how deceptive it is and how easily it corrupts our hearts into sinful actions. Jesus was no different to Paul when it comes to dealing with these sinful desires. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It's pretty drastic language that Jesus is talking about there. He's not literal, okay? So be rest assured, he's not, he's not literal. If he was, we'd all be blind and all, we'd all be beggars without hands. I can tell you that right now if we took Jesus literally. He's not saying that literally, but he's saying something else. He's saying, don't muck around with sin. Get very drastic with sin. But the the fact this is plucking out eyes and cutting off hands, he's saying don't give sin a millimetre to move in. Understand what sinful desires are like. They are like a sinful person, like a violent person in a straitjacket. You need to do those buckles up real tight. Do not give that violent person one millimetre to move. If you let him out of that straitjacket, he will jump on you. 
Jesus is saying, put sin in a straitjacket and keep those buckles done up real tight. Don't take any easy options with it. Sometimes I think we do allow our, our view of sin to slip to really low levels of alarm. Oh, I can handle that. It's only a little one. That's not too bad. It's all right. You know, I, I sort of know how, how strong I am. We just do. We just lose sight of the corrupted desires of our flesh, giving birth to sin, as James says before, and then allowing its poison into just infiltrate our hearts and to do nasty, nasty work. That's why Paul says here, crucify it. Don't give it a millimetre. Nail it to the cross, take it captive and subdue its power with the help of the Spirit. Here's what John Stott said about corrupted desires as I was reading through the week. He said this, When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It is fatal to begin to examine it and consider whether we're going to give in to it or not. We have declared war on it and we are not going to resume negotiations. Through the Spirit's power, we must immediately recognise a sinful desire and without hesitation deal with that thought. See what John Stott says there? It's fatal to examine it in the sense of, oh, I think I might be okay with this one. It's fatal. It will introduce death into our lives. It's fatal. Kick it out. Squash it, kill it, do whatever you can with the Spirit's power to not allow that desire to actually take hold and give birth to a sinful work or sinful action. We must not underestimate the power of temptation. Our corrupted mind is like a fly drawn to a dead body. Just loves it. And our corrupted mind is drawn to sin just like that. Think about this. Would we ever consider asking a reforming alcoholic to look after an esky full of ice and cold beer for a couple of hours? You would never do that. So we don't go near temptation or we don't allow this uh, sinful desire to have any hold or any sort of room to move in our lives whatsoever. Paul says you need to crucify those uh, fleshly sinful desires. Put them to death. Okay, before we get carried away here with perhaps the negativity here of this work of, this, of, the, of killing, and it seems like a whole lot of negative work here, and in a very real sense it is, we must see that not all the Spirit's work here is negative in our lives. It's very much a positive work. Yes, there's a primary role the Spirit does play in dealing with our sin, but also he works to produce the character of Christ within us. And we have to see that it's intrinsically linked. This putting to death of sinful desires is intrinsically linked with actually producing character change, making us people who are reformed in the image of Christ. And Paul has this absolutely in mind here with the Galatians. He knows that God doesn't waste any opportunity in our lives. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste anything in our lives in looking to produce positive change, even when it's through hard Uh, negative work, as it were, in putting to death these sinful desires. And Paul's mindful of this when he writes to the Galatians. He says in verses 22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Anybody having vision of Sunday school days on the flannel graph with all those fruits up on the sort of felt board when you did that? Anybody do that back many years ago? 
Caleb's got a hand up. Thank you, Caleb. One person's identifying with me. It's a classic there of um, Sunday school teaching. It's glorious, isn't it, when you read that? Isn't it wonderful? Doesn't that warm your heart as you think over those things? Can you imagine a dating agency if somebody came up with a profile like that? He or she would be just overrun with um, popularity and say, yeah, I'll take her or him out. They would be absolutely overrun if somebody could come up with a profile like that. Well, this is the fruit that God the Holy Spirit wants to produce within our lives with new desires and a new power to obey those desires to produce this character change. It really is the Holy Spirit renewing in us the image of Jesus Christ. And as we partner with the Holy Spirit, putting to death our sinful desires and cultivate this work, this is exactly what takes place. It's character change. We see beautiful fruit being developed. Attractiveness within the character comes in. It really will make us look attractive. When I say that, I'm not talking about the physical sense of attraction. Because at best, the physical sense of attraction is very, very fleeting. Comes and goes in a matter of years, weeks, days, depending if you have a really bad accident. We've all seen, um, there was that, uh, that um, runner. Yeah, Churia Peak, um, Pitt. You know, caught running in a bushfire, a beautiful looking young lady caught in a bushfire and totally disfigured. Just like that. Yeah? Beauty, physical beauty can be so fleeting. But that's not the beauty here that Paul is talking about. That's not the beauty here that the Spirit is thinking on or working on within us. It's the beauty of character. It's the beauty of what's within us. And this Christian character that the Spirit produces does make the gospel look amazing. This transformation that comes over us, that adorns the gospel of beauty and will make people attracted to Christ through this character transformation that's taking place in us. It's a glorious thing that the Spirit wants to do within us. So to produce this character change here, Paul leads us to that in verse 25. Okay, What are we to do to grow in this fruit, to develop this fruit, to grow in this character or to develop this character? And Paul there tells him, he says, if we live by the Spirit, as in the Spirit's uh, saved us and empowered us, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says that we're to keep in step with the Spirit. The idea that Paul here, when he says the idea of keeping in the step with the Spirit, is like the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us and leads us. We're keeping in step with wherever he goes and wherever he leads. It's a bit like the Spirit leading us through the battlefield of this world. And it's laced with um, landmines wherever we walk. So we keep in step with the Spirit. We follow the leading and the prompting and the guiding of the Holy Spirit so we don't step on the landmines of fleshly, corrupted, evil, sinful desires that blow up in our face. Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. Follow right behind the leading of God's Spirit. And this is achieved by being in relationship with the Holy Spirit, relationship through His Word. A real personal being that we can know and commune with in a living way by faith. Seeing and appreciating every aspect of the Holy Spirit through God's word and through the promptings and the guidings that he does in our life. And we're going to deal with that in a couple of weeks' time about how we, as it were, understand those promptings, understand those guidings. But that's what Paul's pointing us here in this idea of producing this fruit, is staying in step with the Spirit, knowing God's Spirit, how intimately he works through God's word and that we learn to follow those promptings in our life. 
Now, I think with those fruits we saw there before in uh, 22, 23, if anybody in their right mind would aspire to that type of character, wouldn't we? We would just say, I want that. (laughs) That's how I want to be. That's who I want to be. I think governments and community groups all over the world would love to see their countries living that way with those character traits produced by the Holy Spirit. Imagine if that was the case, we could do away with the police force. You wouldn't need that if that was the case. But we don't live like that, do we? The world we live in has an ideal to live like that. That might be something I aspire to, but that ideal of living like that is based on man's ideas and not God's truth. So then we have many, many people, prominent leaders, political parties, saying, follow our direction. We know the way to actually try and get to that sort of um, ideal. We know the best way for the community to grow and to actually produce that sort of character. But all those people lead us with a broken compass. They're saying, follow us, we know the way. But they've actually developed their own compass that favours their direction and not ultimately God's direction. And we've seen it before. Hundreds, if not thousands, of community forums and summits trying to get community rowing in the same direction. And sometimes we do make small gains. Sometimes we actually do head down the path a certain way of producing that type of character or that type of change or that type of attitude within a community. And we do see that improvement, but it's generally only for a short period of time. It can't be sustained. It can't be kept up. And then very quickly things wander back to where they were. Every man for himself, and sometimes it gets worse from where it was last time. Very often it gets worse. It's a battle. That's what Paul's been trying to actually reinforce to these Galatians and to us today. It is a battle. And when you're a Christian and you're feeling like you're in a battle, you are. You are. This is the normal Christian life. It's a struggle between our indwelling sinful desires and the Spirit placing these new desires within us. This is to be expected. Paul told the Thessalonians here, hold on, guys, hang on. He says in Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. It is. It's wearying work, but it yields great positive benefits for the glory of Christ and his gospel in and our lives. It yields great positive benefits in functioning, peaceful, harmonious relationships that point to the transforming work of God's Spirit working with His Word in our lives. But it's wearying work. The Spirit is doing a good work within us. Spiritual fruit is being grown that reflects the character of Christ. And this is one of the truest tests of spiritual growth in our life. Is this fruit or this character change that is actually being born in our lives as we... uh, Uh, go through the heat of this battle. But we need to see here and understand about the ultimate battle here, that these battles that we face is only made possible by the one who fought the ultimate battle, a battle that we could never fight and a battle that we could never win. Look what it says about this person in Hebrews about that battle. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a glorious picture 
of a cosmic battle of a scale of epic, epic proportions here. This is the epic battle of cosmic proportions, the battle of the universe. This is the battle that Jesus went through for us. Jesus had put himself on the line to face all the hosts of evil who were mustered, all their power against him in this battle. They hurled at Jesus anything they could to get him to come down from the cross. Earthly powers were arranged at him. His closest friends had deserted him. He was all alone. Jesus faced all the evil that this universe could throw at him in this cosmic battle of the universe. He faced all the brokenness of humanity at the cross and he did this absolutely alone. That is a colossal war. But what's it say there? It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Unbelievably, in this war and in this battle, there's a joy within Jesus enduring this battle through that, through that war. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was achieving through this colossal war. And what does it tell us there about him also in that verse? Where is he now? It says he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that mean as we think about this colossal war that he went through? That means that Jesus' death and resurrection was victorious. Victorious. Jesus has won the absolute colossal war of the universe. He now sits at the position of power alongside God the Father. What we need to see is that Jesus has gone through that colossal battle, that colossal war for us and in our place. Jesus has now made it possible for us to endure through the skirmishes of life that we now face through the position that he has achieved for us through the forgiveness of sin and through the power that his spirit gives. We can actually approach every battle or every skirmish or every war that we go through from a position of victory because Jesus has achieved that ultimate, universal, colossal victory for us over sin and death. That's why we need to look at Christ in this battle of producing character change and producing fruit that reflects his life now living out through ours. Because he has fought that colossal war on our behalf and in our place, and he has won. So with that battle today, where are you? Where do you sit today in the battle that you face? Well, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't put your trust and hope alone in Christ, then you need to put your trust and hope alone in Christ. That is the only way that you'll overcome ultimately the battle of sin in this world. And if you are a Christian, empowered by God's Spirit, the battle you face is certain victory. It is certain victory. You will overcome. Yes, you may lose some battles along the way or some skirmishes along the way. You may actually succumb to the fleshly desires from time to time and sin. But we have a faithful high priest in Jesus Christ who says he forgives all sin and cleanses of all unrighteousness. And yes, there will be battle wounds at times from that and there will be scars and there will be challenges. But you will not lose the war. 
The war has already been won by Christ and we need to keep looking to him, the victory that he's achieved and then from that we can allow that fruit to be outworked, that character change to be outworked in our lives and to see a glorious, beautiful, attractive Christ living out through a community of believers displaying his glory into this world. That's the fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in every one of us today. And he's calling us to engage with him, to take hold of the power that he plants and places within our hearts and to reject and to kill and to crucify those fleshly desires as they try and, as it were, break out in our hearts or our minds. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you today and thank you again for this glorious uh, passage here in Galatians. Father, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, patiently, compassionately, faithfully, strengthening us and empowering us to endure the battle, to give us the power, to give us the ability to overcome these fleshly desires as they rise up in our hearts. Lord, sometimes the battle is really, really hard for us. Sometimes the battle is really, really long. Sometimes we pray and those desires don't go away. Help us to not lose heart at those times, I pray, Lord. Help us to know that you are there with us and we are, Lord, just called to remain faithful before you and to know also that you are intimately acquainted with the weaknesses of our lives. Lord, I know for all of us, we go through those struggles. Sometimes we go to bed at night and we can't get those thoughts out of our minds. This is the war that is going in within our hearts. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us to continue to keep taking hold of the power that you give and to help us to overcome those fleshly attacks in our minds. And I pray from that, that as you're refining our character, as it were, as you're cleaning up the works of the flesh that would try and break up in our lives, that would break out and to corrupt our lives, I pray that your character would continue to shine through our lives of love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness and patience and faithfulness and self-control. The very character you want us to see in our lives so that we reflect the life of Christ out through us. I pray that we would see that and we would understand that that is your work as we partner with you. And God, that would become incredibly attractive. Incredibly attractive. Here, Lord, as a community of believers, attractive to ask, the people ask us, what is the hope that lies within you? Why are you like this? Where has this change come from? Where does this power come from? And we can point them to Christ. We can point them to the gospel. We can point them to Jesus. Help us today, Lord, I pray in this, and I ask that, Lord, uh, really, really good things would come out of that. Things that would bring honour and praise and glorify your name. Lord Jesus, we ask that, we pray that now. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Before we have a song, is there any uh, questions or thoughts on that? Anybody struggle at night sometimes with thoughts? Just can't get rid of them? Yep. I think everybody's hand, if you're honest, would go up there. That happens, doesn't it? Were you going to... Rob? I was just thinking um, that whole thing about mind and, you know, the word is um, passions and desires, which um, <coughs> it's good, you know, but um, I was just thinking that it really is about heart. Like Jesus said, where your treasure is, yep. where your heart is. And our natural selves, even as Christians, 
is to attach our affections to something rather than God. Yep. That's where we want to go. But if we stay close to God and we keep in step with the Spirit, then that replaces our affections. Yeah. And it's, it's that struggle. Yep. So, so, so like, an alcoholic, you, like your illustrations, you, you put a, a slab of fear there. Full of ice in an esky. Yep. Yeah. Um, they don't need to think about that. No. It's just their affection. Yep. Wanting, wanting that, their body. Their, you know. but, and, and as Paul said in Romans 7, you know, I'm thinking about these things and I'm doing something wise. Yep. Now, spot on, Rob. I mean, uh, um, probably to encapsulate what you're talking about there is we have an affection for this sinful desire, whatever it might be. You need to replace that with a higher affection, so the power of an expulsive affection. So it's something that you love more dearly than you might love of this vice or this sinful activity. And that's what we want to see is the beauty of Christ. Actually, that becomes the affection that actually enables us to uh, work with the Holy Spirit to break those other affections and not let them have that power. Excellent. I was even just going to add, I've been talking with Sam about this sort of stuff that you know, it's sin that we struggle with, <coughs> being frustrated because you know, we do it but we don't want to. And even just the power of prayer in that, even if it's, you know, not saying we have to you know, be on our knees for an hour every day going, God, like, take this sin away from me, but even just starting the day with, like, God, help me today not to whatever it is that we're struggling with. And um, I've really been, because I, I struggle with Yeah, prayer is. Prayer is engaging uh, God's grace. Can you bring up verse 17, Hayden? Just on Galatians 5. There's a, there's a great picture there in verse 17 towards the end, which is what alludes to back to Romans chapter 7. Uh, he talks about this war here in verse 17. Is that... Jeez, mate, you're very quick. Well done. Um, at the end of that verse, it says, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. It's actually very similar to Romans chapter 7. We want to do these things, but this is what... This war keeps us from doing those things. So, yeah, look, that's, that's happening. And prayer is a great way to overcome that as well. You're right, Brie. I mean, um, you know, you could nearly say it every week, but you then might think, oh, it's just a broken record. But it's just so true. It's just so true. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm with you guys when you say, yeah, but I've prayed, Todd, and it doesn't go away. You know, I can't explain that because we don't understand how God's working in certain situations at times. You know, I might pray about the same thing for half an hour and I can't seem to shake it, but eventually you actually do shake it. It doesn't plague you for 10 years straight, as in minute after minute after minute type of thing. You know, there might be really intense times of 15 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour or longer or an hour, but you know, ultimately and eventually in God's timing, we do shake those things that are plaguing us. Neville. Uh, just back to our camp, when we're looking at the Ecclesiastes, the idea of what we feed ourselves on as well. Yep. We can feed ourselves on the word which will strengthen us, or we can feed ourselves on the world which will weaken us. Um, yep. So we can pray, but we're praying that we're feeding ourselves on the world at the same time. Yep. The programs we watch and the things to yep. something to keep and so forth. We're undermining ourselves. They're all influences, that's right. Absolutely. Spot on. We will have one song to finish. Um, if anybody would love to catch up with me, um, post-service for prayer or a talk about this, um, more than happy to catch up and would like to do that. Thank you.
sing, This is my desire to honour you. Please stand with us.